Welcome to the Happiness Playbook, a podcast that supports your practice of play theory, a life strategy that cultivates hope, generosity, and validation of self and others. Here at the Happiness Playbook, we believe life is a team sport, and we're all in this together. So let's join forces as we focus on the positive and share tips and practices to improve your happiness game. I'm Larry Florence, and I'll be your host for episode 94 of the Happiness Playbook. But before we get into the meat of this very important idea, we want to do our post-game analysis. What did you think of the idea that all happiness is found in acceptance? Did you notice any areas of your life that you could do a better job of accepting what is and then building upon it to improve? We have a very special story for this week's highlight reel. I'm just going to quote the article from Good News Network word for word. When 31-year-old Chris Salvatore moved to his apartment complex, he'd wave through the window at his 89-year-old neighbor, Norma. As he learned her story that she lived alone without family or friends to visit except a cat named Hercules, he started paying her regular visits where they play board games, chat, Cook and sip champagne, Norma's favorite. As her leukemia progressed, Chris invited Norma to live with him to care for her in her last days while raising funds online for her medical care. Norma passed away and her last words to her caring neighbor were, I love you. Chris, you are the good news. I'll leave a link on the show notes so you can see a picture of Chris with Norma. This story about Chris and his neighbor Norma really touched me. My mom's name was Norma. That's always so weird. Should I use the past tense? She's been dead for 37 years now, but she'll always be who she is or was to me. She died of cancer when I was 21. I wish I'd been older. I would have been wiser, like Chris. He was wise enough to look outward and see his neighbor's needs I bet he doesn't have regrets about how he served Norma in her last days. I'm not so lucky. My mom told me about her cancer in November, and she was gone the next April. Just a little over four months. We didn't have medical insurance, and she was loath to go to the doctor. So by the time she went, there wasn't much they could do. I was in my junior year of college. I was working part-time at a daycare that my mom owned and had been managing before her illness. As she became too weak to continue, I took on her responsibilities, which added to my load. And sometimes, when we feel burdened, it's hard to look past ourselves. Oh, how I wish I had, though. I wish I had taken a break from my march toward a degree I didn't end up using, and instead spent my time outside of work attending to my mom's needs, just being with her, doing what Chris did. His Norma and my Norma are long past having any regrets, but I'm not. The lost opportunity to look outward and serve my mom remains as a bitter lesson in how not to behave when the stakes are high, when the pain inside feels unbearable, Don't retreat inward and hide from it. Instead, look outward at the other's need, and in so doing, our needs will also be met. I'm grateful to have eventually learned this lesson. I just 
wished I'd learned it a long time ago. That's what we're talking about today, looking outward instead of inward, looking at another's need and seeking to fulfill it instead of our own. It's counterintuitive. We all have needs, and being hangry is real. I get it. I'm not saying that looking outward has to happen at the expense of meeting our own needs. It may mean making some tough choices, though. Like, in my case, I thought I needed to go to school that winter semester long ago. I didn't. The truth is, I wanted to go because I wanted to follow my plan to graduate by a certain time. If I had been better at looking at others' needs outside of myself, I would have seen this. And consequently, my real need, the need to not feel regret about not being there for my mom, my Norma, would have been met. I know, I know, I was young. I was under a lot of stress. I was in denial. No one is prepared for an untimely death. That's all true. And yes, I can reword the story in my head and try to mitigate the regret I feel, but my heart knows the true depth of remorse I feel for not doing what in hindsight I absolutely wish I had and now know with all my heart I could have done. I know this because I've learned how looking outward empowers us to be able to do things we could never do when we are focused inwardly. Once, just before one of our Shakespeare in the Park shows was about to start, I got a frantic message on the headset that I wear as the director. One of the actors was having a problem and I was needed backstage ASAP. I told the techs to stall on the opening until I gave them the go-ahead. Then I headed backstage where I found one of the leads in the show sitting on the floor with his head between his legs. He was suffering from severe stage fright. This wasn't opening night, and he'd done a fantastic job at the previous performances, so I was a bit surprised. The rest of the cast was visibly concerned and had cleared a swath of open space around him as I approached. I took him aside and asked him what he needed. As he tried to articulate his fears, he became more and more emotional and broke down in tears. As I listened, I had to ignore the voice in my head imploring, what about the show? This wasn't the first time I'd had to stall a show because of an issue with an actor. Sometimes it's been a misplaced prop or a problem with the microphone. Once an actor threw up just before curtain and we had to figure out a way to get a garbage can into the set so he could throw up in it if needed. I once held a show for 15 minutes because an actor's nose would not stop bleeding. Did I say bleeding? I mean gushing. And because of this experience, I knew that sometimes nosebleeds last a long time. So another time when we couldn't get an actor's nose to stop bleeding, we arranged a scene, we rearranged a scene and swapped out a role so he could go on in the second act after his nose had finally stopped bleeding. This is all to say that this wasn't my first rodeo. So as I looked at this young man in crisis, I did not feel the crisis. I could see him clearly and I could see his needs. I was looking outward and sincerely asking what was needed in this scenario. As I asked him to share what was going on, I had the clear impression that he needed human touch to help calm down. I helped him to a seat on a prop table and sat down next to him and put my arm around him. 
I responded in hushed tones to his fears and disappointment in his current emotional state. It was okay to be nervous. It was okay to feel overwhelmed. He was doing a really challenging thing. I understood that he could feel anxious. I assured him that he was more important than the show and the rest of the cast would be fine if we had to cancel it. As I validated his feelings, he started to calm down. Then an amazing thing happened. He started to talk about how sorry he was to be letting the rest of the cast down by ruining the show for them. I assured him that they would be fine and that the world would be fine with one less performance of Shakespeare. I reminded him that even though there were hundreds of people out in the audience, it was a free show, so no one could get angry if we canceled. By this point, he was calming down, so we said a prayer together. I gave him a hug and told him it was all going to be okay, no matter what. He was visually in a much better place, but still not his usual self. I asked him what he wanted to do, because the audience and cast were waiting for my decision. I assured him that his needs were the most important thing at present and that I would be fine if we called the show off. I waited in silence as he struggled between his anxious feelings and his desire to perform and not let his scene partners down. I asked him if he thought he could do the opening number. I assured him that I thought he could totally handle it and that I'd wait backstage and then afterwards he could let me know how he was feeling. We could always call the show then. I reminded him of the power that he was feeling. The power of looking outward and seeing another's needs. And I told him that that was what was fueling his willingness to move forward despite his fears. I encouraged him to keep that focus when he stepped out onto the stage. Then I called for places and cued the text to hit play. As I stood in the wings and watched, I had a front row seat to the witness of the transformational power of looking outward. I sent a broken, despondent, yet willing young man out onto that stage. After the opening number, he came back all smiles, chin up with a light in his eye. A few minutes before, this talented and capable actor had been shackled by his self-focus, which had been momentarily pulled inward, leaving him empty and hopeless. Only as he turned his focus away from himself and instead saw the needs of others in the cast was he able to forget himself and serve the performance in wonderful ways. Now, it's time for a huge disclaimer on how words alone may not be enough to quell panic attacks. This young actor may have been experiencing a panic attack or it may not have been a panic attack. I don't know. I only know what we experienced together as we tried to sort out what was needed in the press of a very demanding moment. I also know that I have witnessed this power of looking past one's self towards the audience, a scene partner or cast member multiple times. I have experienced this power myself as I felt fear rising up, trying to turn my focus solely onto myself. The best antidote to this is to redirect the focus outwards away from myself. When I'm able to do so, the fear dissipates and is replaced by love for the other. Love is always better than fear. That's a lesson I wish I had learned 37 years ago. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way, it is one of the most beautiful compensations in life that no man can sincerely try to help another without 
helping himself. While my mom was dying, I struggled under a cosmic weight of doubt, fear, dismay, and sheer terror. She had been my bedrock and very real hub in our family's wheel. Without her, my brother, sister, and dad and I flew apart and to pieces. If only, if only I had stayed focused on her in those final weeks instead of this anticipated outcome. If only I had been more present, looking outward towards her instead of past her into the void of the catastrophic unknown. I don't want to leave you on a Debbie Downer, so I've saved our team huddle for the end. See, I have learned a lot over the years. I can now say that I'm pretty good at looking outward. I can say that I know I would have handled my opportunities to be with my Norma in her last days, more like Chris did with his Norma. This comment sent in by Teresa, a parent of some of our TNT participants, is a powerful insight into the culture I've been blessed to help create using the power of play theory. Her comment is a great reminder of the value of one of the beautiful principles, look outward. From Teresa, quote, I sure enjoyed hearing about the history and development of TNT and how play theory evolved over the years. Our family has been a great fan of both, and we enjoyed Shakespeare in the Park for many years, starting well before the oldest of my kids bravely ventured into the great unknown of a TNT audition where she was so generously welcomed by a multitude of others looking outward. All of our family has been blessed and impressed ever since. Unquote. Thanks for sharing that with us, Teresa. That really warmed my heart. Well, our play of the week is a deep one. Take some time and consider the people in your life that you would be loath to lose. Then look outward and consider their needs. Then do something for them or with them. Make it a priority, like if you knew you were going to lose them, because you will, someday. And when that day comes, I hope you can find peace knowing that you looked outward instead of inward. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. If you learned something valuable and think someone else would benefit from listening to the podcast, but maybe you're afraid to share it with them, look outward and think about their needs instead of your fears. After all, who couldn't use a little more happy in their life? Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about a superpower available to all of us, the power of our thoughts. Until then, remember, happy isn't something that happens to you. It's something you make happen. And here at the Happiness Playbook, we're all about helping you do just that. Until next week, keep practicing happy. You got this.